What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. Joining me today is Catherine Bell, Editor-in-Chief of Quartz. Quartz was founded in 2012 to serve a new kind of business leader with brazenly creative and intelligent journalism that's built for users first. Catherine previously served as Editor-in-Chief at Barron's Magazine, and before that she worked at Harvard Business Review for a decade and was the editor of HBR.org. In both roles, she had led the digital transformation of a really iconic print publications. Catherine, thank you so much for being a guest on the Trusted Web podcast. Thanks so much for having me. The state of media or journalism, could you uh, share your take on that? It's a really interesting moment right now, just on our way out of um, the pandemic. I mean, in some parts of the world, at least. And looking back over the past year, and I think there's a, a lot to be proud of and hopeful about for journalists. People have done amazing work during the pandemic, covering what's been happening, helping people understand what's been happening, doing some really important service journalism as well as investigative journalism. And I, I think that's been really incredible. So in addition to that, I think in this country, it's been a, a really interesting year in newsrooms. Um, after the, the death of George Floyd last summer, there was a lot of advocacy and a lot of work being done in, in newsrooms to um, really force the issue of inclusivity and diversity, which was very belated. And there's still a ton of work to do, but those conversations have really been happening in a new way. And that's been really exciting and important. And along with that, I think we've made some progress on some other cultural shifts that were necessary, um, in part to deal with trust issues that I, I know you're thinking about a lot, um, where you know the, the idea of being balanced, I, I think, had gotten us into trouble sometimes. And so now there's more of a focus on truth over balance. And, and that, I think, has been a, a very necessary shift and more awareness about using really concrete and precise language and avoiding euphemisms. And um, I think related to that, from the business model perspective, of course, you know, I have very deep concerns about the structural issues in the industry, and, and it's, it's still very challenging. But I think the shift to reader revenue that a lot of, of companies have been making has been good for the industry. I mean, I've spent most of my career in subscription-based organizations, so I may be biased on this. But I do think that it it helps um, it helps organizations think more long term and be more self reliant. And I also think that the focus on serving readers and being able to imagine really specific actual readers is is not just good for the business but good for the journalism. So overall, I think there's there's a lot to be hopeful about. And you know, I'm worried about journalists being burned out. A number of prominent um, editors and journalists have stepped down recently because of burnout. So I'm glad people are talking about that. And I think it's something we really need to address after such a hard year. And obviously the structural challenges of the industry are big, um, but, but it's a, a really interesting moment in the industry. 
there's so much to unpack in your answer. Regarding inclusivity, that's the thing that's close to your heart and close to my heart as a, a gay man, gay entrepreneur. What changed in the newsroom after the George Floyd incident situation? What, what changed in the newsroom regarding inclusivity and trust? I think it was a breaking point for a lot of people, not just in journalism, but I think um, after so many of these murders and and the, the lack of response and the lack of change, you know, people really hit a point where they were willing to have conversations that they had not been willing to have. And I think white people were, were able to see things that they had not been able to see or not allowed themselves to see. So I think there was a, a larger cultural moment. It's also a generational thing. I mean, we have a, a pretty young newsroom and um, younger people in this country think about these things differently and, and have different tolerance levels for um, you know, the kind of euphemisms and the kind of low-grade insidious racism that that honestly older people I think have gotten so used to that we don't even always see it. So I, I mean, I've been really impressed by how people have been speaking up and it's going to take a long time to actually fix the problems. They're really deep and, and not easy to fix, but I'm glad that at least we're having the conversations more openly. It was one of those topics where not speaking up was really no option. What happened in the newsroom, for example, uh, your newsroom, is it like a moment saying, oh, time out, we need to rethink everything. <laughs> how should we cover this? Or what happens at a moment like that? Yeah, I mean, we had those conversations about how to cover it in the newsroom. And, you know, it had been a topic where I think sometimes, you know, police violence had not been something that courts had covered a lot. And, um, you know, in, in part, I think, it was easy to look at it and think, well, this isn't a global issue. This isn't an economic issue necessarily. And those are our two ways that we choose stories. And in the summer, we thought, looked at it and said, it's totally a global issue and an, a very strongly an economic one. And it's incredibly important that we cover it. So that was a really useful um, shift that we made. And then also, you know, we had a lot of conversations as an organization about ourselves as an organization and wanting to improve on issues of diversity and inclusivity. And, you know, like every media organization, we have work to do. We have a lot of work to do. And so we had a lot of conversations. Um, Zach Seward, our CEO, and I had open conversations with anyone in the newsroom, you know, these small group conversations. And we had some, you know, they were challenging at moments and in really, I think, necessary ways. And we made some immediate changes to things like our hiring process. And, you know, we've just been putting a lot more pressure on ourselves and holding ourselves accountable with, you know, more transparency and, and really explaining to the staff everything that we're trying to do to um, move things forward. Many agree on uh, misinformation and disinformation that that's a problem we are currently facing. Is that something that Quartz has special policies around? Or, of course, you're more focusing on business sides of things, but is misinformation and disinformation a problem there? And what are your policies or practices around that? Yes, I think I think it's a problem that that all of journalism really needs to focus on. I think, you know, it's one of the places where just going back to the basics and doing um, making sure that you're being really careful about sourcing and fact-checking and all the work that journalists do. 
I mean, those, they do the job, you know? So I think it, that's, that's the most important thing and figuring out how to do that, even in, you know, it's, I think a challenge in a lot of newsrooms that the level of resources means that you're moving faster and, you know, people don't have the large fact-checking departments and copy editing desks and, and the sort of extra, extra safety nets that, that publications used to have. So we have, there's a greater responsibility on the reporter and on the editor, but I think a big part of it for us is really also, you know, being very careful about, um, our trusted relationship with the readers, making sure that we're being really concrete about language, making sure that when we talk about data, we are really putting it in the right context. I think context and data are the two things that missing context can be a problem. And then describing data in a way that isn't crystal clear or that doesn't explain sort of the context of the data is another place that you can get in trouble. So we're really careful about that. I think one thing that's been great for us is that we do have a very global newsroom. We're a small newsroom, but about half of our reporters are, are outside the US, which is rare for a newsroom of our size. And one thing that's been great about that is that it does, it, it does help us have a sort of outsider view on a lot of things where there's someone to challenge things. Like we don't all have the same assumptions about situations that are happening or about how to interpret the news. And that's been really helpful for us. And you led digital transformation at uh, HBR. And how did misinformation and disinformation or the movements around it, how did that impact how you create and distribute content? And how will that do so in the years ahead? I think one of the things that we are really explicit about is what our mission is and and what our values are and i think it's been it's become more important to be really transparent and careful and explicit about that so our readers know where we're coming from and know where we stand so that's one thing i think you know the platforms obviously have made all of this much harder over time and have caused a lot of problems with with misinformation and disinformation. And one thing that I think, you know, has been a hard shift for the industry in terms of where our traffic comes from and kind of the stability of, of that, but the shift from social, from being as dependent as we all were on social a few years ago, I think has been a good one in this because, um, you know, we, I think we've learned a lot as an industry about how much to trust the data you get from social platforms, how much to trust what it means when somebody shares something on social. Like, I think we used to all think, oh, it's a great indication that someone loves what we're doing and trusts what we're doing if they're willing to share it with a friend. But that was really naive. You know? So I think we're, we're a lot less naive about that and smarter about the data that we look at. And then, you know, we've, we've talked about context and, and language and, and being careful about that. I think with, you know, we, we cover business and the economy. And, and so we see the distorting influence of incentives all over the place. And I think that's just something to try to be very aware of about ourselves and our own industry, that there are unintended consequences to business models and to decisions that people make sometimes for good reasons. And anytime there's an incentive, you have to look at why it's there and what it's forcing you to do and whether that's the intended consequence or not. 
did the business model uh, quite change over the last years and how do you expect it to change over the years? Of course, only what you can tell, but from your having led so many digital transformation uh, in your career. Absolutely. I mean, it, it has changed and in a way that has required some cultural change in the newsroom, you know, which is quite different than what I'm used to in other places with a shift from print to digital. But it's also challenging to shift from one business model to a mix of business models, which is basically what happened with print too, in just a different direction, basically. So we were almost entirely ad-driven before. And about two years ago, just over two years ago, we started a membership program. And that's been growing, you know, steadily since then. It's we still a majority of our revenue still comes from ads, but uh, we expect that our goal is to have that even out. So we're our plan is not to get out of advertising entirely. It's um, it's to have those revenue streams balance each other. One of the things I see, it seems upcoming from the outside with a Substack, for example. A lot of journalists are starting their their newsletters and monetizing those. Where do you see? this model going over this decade, for example? So I've been thinking a lot about this. There's so much talk right now about, about the bifurcation of the industry into the really, really big players like New York Times and the Journal. And on the other end, um, you know, individuals going off and working for Substack. I think, you know, the, the whole history of business is basically bundling things and then unbundling things and then bundling them back again. So part of that is a natural thing that shifts in, in industries. And we're at a moment where, you know, all the attention is at the two ends of the spectrum. I think it's really important that we have thriving media businesses all the way along that spectrum. I mean, I love magazines. I believe in magazines and I want magazines to survive in the middle. Um, you know, I think mission-based businesses like Quartz are really important and, and that having independent media companies like us that aren't, you know, either um, dependent on the big tech platforms on one end or, you know, large organizations themselves at the other end is really important for the variety of voices in the world and for just keeping media independent. I think it's fundamental to media that a lot of it should be independent. And, you know, so, I, and I think local news is another thing that belongs somewhere along that spectrum. I don't think it's good when local news organizations all the way around our country are owned by huge companies and private equity firms. So I think there's a lot to solve in the middle. And I, I'm happy that there are new organizations and nonprofits and innovative business models that are and projects that have been happening recently. And so I think, I think there's, there's a lot to be hopeful about in there. But I, I do worry about how we're going to make things work for enough businesses in the middle. What do you think the landscape would look like um, in 2030? Open question. Well, I, I really hope that we have solved that problem of finding a sustainable business model for media companies, you know, to allow them to grow. I hope that media companies are more um, inclusive, that, that we make a huge amount of process progress in that area and more resilient. So one of the things we're working on with lots of Dutch publishers is making transparency and accountability part of the base layer of the internet. So in an open source way, they put fingerprints on every revision of content to make sure that 
a reader can verify how in information changed over time and who the sender of information is. And the European Commission, we're talking to them to make sure that content, for example, that's transparent, can uh, travel further in algorithms than information that's not transparent. Uh, to make transparency and accountability, which are building blocks for trust, part of the design of the internet to rebalance the power between publishers or newsrooms and the big tech platforms. Is that something that makes sense or, or is interference needed to restore a healthy relationship between reader, publisher, and especially the platforms? Absolutely. I believe so. And I think that's a really interesting idea. I think, you know, I think looking at both regulation what also what publishers can do. I think we're a lot less naive about the platforms than we used to be. It used to be that publishers were so panicked about the business model for good reasons that everybody would flock to the next savior and then that would turn out to be problematic. I think we're more aware that, <laughs> that that's the pattern now. I think so I think I think publishers be smarter about it and 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 take on the problem themselves. And then having, as you said, technology solutions as well. I mean, if, if you can adjust the algorithm to help with this, we should be doing that. And, that. and of course we can. Yeah, one of the biggest things, because an algorithm saying, hey, this is true or not, that's super hard. And that's it's, it's impossible to make an objective way around that. But something you can do is saying, hey, when there's a person putting an identity on place, information can travel further than when, when you don't do that. So there's always freedom of speech. Everything can be said, but not automatically freedom of reach for anonymous information. That makes a ton of sense. One or two advices from you as a, a mission-driven newsroom regarding trust in the newsroom. Is there uh, one last thought you uh, maybe can share with other newsrooms? I mean, I, I think more journalism organizations should think of themselves as mission-driven organizations. I think all of us really are to some extent as journalists and, and, and being very clear and direct about what that purpose you are trying to serve is, is really important and, and simplifies things for you. It helps make decisions. It, it helps guide what you do in circumstances when it does feel tricky and it's always going there are always going to be those circumstances especially in a difficult business environment so i i think that's a helpful way of thinking about it at the very baseline and then i i do think that really um thinking about serving the readers you know i think thinking about actually trying to serve them in ways that will make their lives better um give them information they need and and help them make different decisions i think you know, service journalism gets a, a, you know, gets a bad rep in newsrooms sometimes, but I think we should be thinking of more of journalism that way. What is surfing journalism? How, how would you describe it? Well, it's, I mean, I think it's, it's journalism that, that responds to what's actually happening in people's lives and gives them tools sometimes to do things differently. And I think that there's a lot more that we could do with that. And I think there are some news organizations that are doing some interesting work with advocacy and data and, you know, really supporting and helping communities. And I think the more that we can do that sort of thing, the more 
people will trust us. Well, there, I, I can imagine partly will be membership, but membership also is sometimes it's, it's dancing against inclusivity, could be, as only the people who buy the membership can read the content. I mean, I think it doesn't need to be that way. I think a lot of newsrooms, ourselves included, do a lot that is free for everyone. And then there's some of the work is for people who are paying. And I think, you know, sometimes that's because you have a set of readers who need a deeper dive into things that that the kind of broadest level of what you do is all most people even want in some ways. And, and if they only want a little bit of it, that's fine. So if you're not a frequent reader, you can read what you can read the piece. Um, but but then if you if you need more specialized or more um, specific work, then that's what you're paying for. Or or if you want to be part of a community, for example. So I think I think it can work without um, limiting it too much for everybody. I mean, if you limit it too much, then you're not going to get the readers you want to be members in the first place. So even the business model supports that. And then also, I think for most organizations, having multiple revenue streams is is smart to be resilient over time because we all know, you know, I mean, reader revenue is going to have its limits too because people can only afford so many subscriptions and, you know, everything has peaks and valleys. So I think it's just smart to have multiple ways that you're making money that, um, that balance each other out in various ways. And so I don't worry too much about that issue that, that, you know, we're going to be too beholden to our members and not do the great journalism that our mission requires. Let's see if we have a, a 2030 with all mission-driven newsrooms. That would be a great <laughs> outcome. Thanks so much, uh, Catherine, for sharing your insights from Quartz and uh, all digital transformation that you've done in the industry. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. Lastly, it is well known that today the public trust into media organizations is low and therefore we've surveyed a global audience to better understand what publishers can do to increase trust with their audience. We've released these findings in our fresh report called Trust in Publishing 2021. You'll find the report, the show notes of this episode and many other valuable resources at thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Once again, thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together.